right. We're back to the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Excuse me, verses 1 through 13. You thought you were getting off. No, verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality... You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point, fails in one point, has become accountable to, for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray as we consider God's word together. Once again, Lord, we are here to hear from you this morning. Lord, we pray that you would be the, the teacher and preacher among us, that your spirit would indeed move amongst us as your word is proclaimed. Lord, may you work within us as individuals and as families, as a church. Sharpen us. Lord, help us um, to, to turn to you and even worship you as we hear uh, these words proclaimed. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my many faults is that I am often impressed or maybe over-impressed by wealth. I knew a ruling elder during my time in Virginia. He drove a Lexus. I don't think I'd ever met anybody who drove a Lexus before. Perhaps some of you drive a Lexus, I'm not sure, but, but I, I'd never sat in a Lexus before, and I just remember sitting in the back seat of his car, he was taking Carrie and I to dinner somewhere, and wow, this, I've arrived. I'm a pastor of a church whose one of the ruling elders has a Lexus. And then later on, I found out he had season tickets, four season tickets to the Washington Redskins, now called the Commanders, and I actually got to go at, to a game a few years later, it was later in the day, obviously. It wasn't to, to compete with church. The seats were, I think, three rows from the field, around the 45-yard line. And they actually gave you all the snacks you wanted. They were included in the price of the ticket, which, of course, I didn't have to pay. And I remember thinking it was almost too close because I could hardly see above the shoulder pads and the helmets of these guys are humongous. And they are not exactly... Um, their speech was not exactly pure, put it that way. You could, but you could hear it all. And uh, the sad thing is that years later, I found out that this ruling elder wrecked his marriage 
by running off with another woman. I don't know where he is today. I don't know where he is in his faith. It just reminds me um, that I, I, I sometimes am overly too, too much overly impressed by wealth. And James warns me and warns us about that. He's already warned us once in chapter one about viewing the rich and the poor as the world does, right? Beginning in verse nine of chapter one. Let the lowly but brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away, right? The, the, the gospel reversal. If you're rich, you're really poor. And if you're poor, you're really rich in Christ. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its, flowers fall, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So this morning we're going to take a look again at wealth, at wealth in the church, and particularly what I entitled spiritual snobbery, the sin of partiality or discrimination. I'm kind of going to probably use those terms uh, uh, quite a bit here. You're going to get a bit of a break this morning. I can only break the sermon into two parts. I tried so hard to break it into three parts. I'm so triperspectival. I am a, I'm a, a son of triperspectivalism in my seminary. Uh, but I'm just going to have to go with two points this morning. So discrimination in the church is sin, verses 1 through 7. And then verses 8 through 13, discrimination violates the great commandment. So let's look again at verses 1 through 7. First, let's look at verse 1. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So notice verse 1 is kind of the topic sentence. It's really the, the main point of the whole passage. Show no partiality as you, as you hold the faith in, in Jesus. Notice that Jesus here is called the Lord of glory. He's called the Lord of glory. Why would James take the time to mention that? It's almost kind of a throwaway line if you're reading it. But Jesus is the Lord of glory. And notice how he displayed his glory. How did Jesus display his glory while he was living on earth? Well, there are really two ways I can think about. First of all, the transfiguration. Right when he really kind of allowed uh, Peter, James, and John to kind of peek behind, the, peek behind the curtain and see Jesus in his full radiant glory. But probably more plainly to everyone else, Jesus displayed his glory at the cross. He displayed his glory at the cross. That's why in John 17, he could pray these words. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. He prays to be glorified at the cross. Now, I mean, to think that your execution in the most heinous way imaginable is somehow glorifying, that really shows kind of the contrast that he's, James is about to talk about with the rich man. Because the rich man shows off his glory right through his clothes and through his uh, fancy rings and, and those kinds of things. But we worship a God. We, we have a Savior whose glory is displayed not in riches, but in humiliation and, through, uh, through, and through, through poverty, which we'll get to in just a minute. So that's verse 1. And then verses 2 through 4, he, he talks about, uh, he kind of gives an illustration or example of what that could look like. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing, and that maybe some of you, I have, I have a gold ring on. I could, my clothing could be described as, 
Well, it's kind of shabby, but it's kind of fine too. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with, with evil thoughts? It's hard to know whether he, James brings this up on purpose, like this is something that actually happened, or it's kind of an illustration of his, of his point, maybe a little bit of both. Notice it talks about coming to your meeting. That word is synagogue in Greek, which if that sounds familiar. sounds like the word synagogue, okay, meeting place or meeting. It's hard to know whether or not necessarily, it's hard to know this was likely a worship service that he was describing. It could have been any meeting of Christians. And, it's, and so again, the Lord of glory, Jesus, is not to be outshined, I would argue, uh, by the rich man in his, in his, in his uh, lovely clothing. And we don't have that issue here, I don't think. There's, first of all, there aren't really a lot of great seats. They're all good seats. There are no bad seats. Um, I can't tell you, I, when I pastored a church in Houma, Louisiana, before I came here, there was a man named David Lede. Gary remembers David Lede. Maybe Noah does too. David Lede was, a, was, a, was definitely on the spectrum, the autistic spe, spe, uh, spectrum. He, was, he, would, he could not take care of himself, really. He rode his bike to our church on Sunday mornings. He's very overweight, uh, did not bathe regularly. Um, but David always knew your birthday. That was what he was really good at, was memorizing facts and figures. And so when I would say, hello, David, he'd say, Pastor Rose, November the 4th, 1973. He would, he would just rattle off your birthday. That was kind of his way of, of, of engaging with you. Um, but we, uh, the elders of the church, before I got there and, and during my time and after there, always insisted that David sat in the back. And maybe it was because he, they were worried that he was going to bother other people. David actually came to our church because, well, he would tell you he was Catholic. And, and the reason why he came to our church was because he had been bullied at his church. And so for years and years, he, he sat in the, very, in the very back. I looked him up this week to see if I could find out if he was still living. Um, again, did not take care of himself well. But I wondered, did we really do well by David? By making him sit all the way in the back of the, of the uh, sanctuary? I'm not sure. Um, perhaps I'm guilty of this, uh, this favoritism and partiality. That's the illustration example. So why is this an issue? We'll look at verses 5 through 7. He talks more, James tells us more about why this is a problem. There are three reasons given. Listen, my beloved brothers, in verse 5. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to, to those who love him? So the first reason why this is a problem, this partiality toward the rich, it contradicts God's view of the poor. God honors the poor. That's throughout Scripture. But a couple places in the Old Testament that I found uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And then Leviticus uh, 
chapter 19, verses 15 and 18. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So when, when, we, when we, as Christians, show deference to the, to the wealthy and, not, and show uh, a partiality to them and not to the, to the poor, we are contradicting what God wants us to do. God wants us to show mercy to the poor. The second reason is that it betrays a, fawn, a fawning, servile mentality. The rich are the ones who are exploiting and persecuting the believers. You can look at verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? So the rich, of course, they, um, they do this today. If you watch the news, I'm sure you'll see there's plenty of trials you can, you can take, 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 take a look at. Um, the rich uh, use the legal system in ways that the poor cannot. And James is saying they're not only using the courts against the poor, they're also using the courts uh, as ways to oppress Christians and to, and to shush us up. In fact, the last reason is, 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 the very, is in verse 7. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? In other words, kind of the sum of, of the first two reasons. The rich are blaspheming the very name of Jesus, the Lord of glory, the real glory, not earthly riches. And so discrimination in the church is sin. It's sin whether or not it's rich and poor, whether or not it's uh, uh, those who, basically for us to judge anybody on external, on external appearances is wrong. So my question to us then is how we handle it if someone who is obviously very poor came to worship with us this morning. What if it wasn't someone who was poor? What if it was someone um, who was obviously LBG, LBD, excuse me, LB, LGBTQ, I'm not speaking well, obviously gay or lesbian, or what if they were wearing all their MAGA stuff, the red hat and the whole thing, or what if they were pro-Palestinian or pro-Israeli, or what if they were uh, fresh from, from the, from the uh, border, just crossing the border illegally, what if they were liberals? My gosh, how we handle it if someone very different than us? And fill in your blank. If you weren't offended by something I said, fill in the blank of something that's more offensive. Okay. What if someone showed up to the church one morning? How we handle it? I remember talking with someone in the early days of our church when we were meeting at the, at the Desert Ridge Middle School. And I mentioned during the service something about the fact that we want to be a church for all kinds of people, even those who differ from us politically and this man did not like what I said. After the service, he said, Pastor, I don't want to go to church with somebody who's liberal. And I said, well, I can understand, I guess, in some ways, but isn't the church for everyone? Isn't the church for everyone who's rich and poor, who come from all different kinds of lifestyles or, or, or perspectives? I'm not saying, of course, it's, I'm, I'm, I am clearly telling you abortion is wrong. But wouldn't it be great if someone who was, who was for abortion came and worshiped with us, and listened to our word, and wanted to be part of our community, maybe over time their hearts would change. Or if someone is, is struggling with same-sex attraction, wouldn't that be great if it was somebody that could worship with us, 
and felt at home with us. And over time, the gospel would penetrate their lives and hearts. We must learn to, be, to look at people the way God does. Right? First Samuel chapter 16. You remember when, when Saul, was, or excuse me, when uh, Samuel was searching for the next king of Israel. Remember they aligned up David's family, all his brothers. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. He's talking about the first two brothers. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. At our, our most recent Presbytery meeting, which was uh, Monday and Tuesday in Las Cruces, uh, we finished up with, a, with, a, with 45 minutes of prayer. It was really a, really a wonderful time to have all these pastors praying together. And a couple of the pastors, though, threw me some curveballs. One of them prayed that we would grow our churches with the poor. I thought, oh, wow. I've never thought about it that way before. And another pastor prayed something very similar. That we would be outposts of grace to those who need it. Are we really ready for that? We need to be ready. If we want to be the church that I think God is calling us to be, we need to make sure we're not just um, clubs for people that are very similar. Instead, we need, to be a place of, we need to be a place of grace that welcomes both saints and skeptics those who don't know Christ, I hope that we can be that kind of church. And so let's make sure we're not discriminating against the poor or against anyone else that, that the world uh, so easily uh, uh, judges on us. So our second point then is discrimination violates the great commandment. He goes in great detail here about the fact that, we, that discrimination or partiality violates the great commandment. Notice in verses eight, eight through nine, he talks about the royal law. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So we talked about this actually in our small group the other night, the idea that, that, the, that the, all, the, all the Ten Commandments, all the, all the law in the Old Testament is summed up in one phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. And when we treat people differently based on our outward appearance, for whatever reason, we are not loving our neighbor. I mean, what if, what if you were the one who came to a church? Perhaps you, were, you would come to a, uh, an African-American church. Uh, what if you came to a, very, a known to be very liberal church? How would, how would you be received? How would you be handled? So we have to begin to think about that. We have to love our neighbors as ourselves. He says two other things here in these verses. Verses 10 and 11. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So you kind of get the sense that James is anticipating uh, some talk back. Saying, well, maybe we do distinct. Maybe it is wrong that we have this idea of rich and poor, but we, we major on the majors. That's a minor thing. It's a small thing. But if you break one of God's commandments, you break them all. It's all or nothing. That's why, of course, I'm thankful that Jesus has aced the test for us, right? And then verses 12 to 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs 
over judgment. We have to expect to be judged in the same manner as we judge others. We have to expect the same amount of mercy that we give. We have to expect that to be, to be the same the other way around. And that reminds me this morning to ask you this question. How or have you experienced the mercy of God in Jesus Christ? Jesus gives us a parable to, to consider that. In Matthew 18, beginning verse 23, the parable of the unmerciful servant. You've probably heard this before, but it's well worth reading. He said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a, a lot of money. I don't care, millions of dollars. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. In other words, they were to become slaves, sold into slavery. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Notice the first phrase, have patience with me, is a plea the second thing, I will pay you everything. He has no chance of paying him everything. The credit card bill is in the millions of dollars. There's no way he can pay him back. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So he's good now. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, a few, a few bucks, maybe 100 bucks. He, he owed him 100 denarii. And this man seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But the very same phrasing, the same almost exact wording that he told the king. And this man refused and went and put this fellow servant in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and, they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on, the, on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. He died in prison. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's about forgiveness, but it's also about mercy. Have you experienced the mercy of God? The reason why I ask this is because we can only give to others what we've experienced in Christ. You can only give forgiveness if you've tasted forgiveness in Christ. You can only give God's mercy and grace if you know you've tasted mercy and grace. I hope that you all have, have, have not just tasted it, but drank deeply from those kind of wells. Because it's only in that way that you can offer to someone else what you've been given in Christ. So, dear friends, look in the mirror of God's word and see how lost you are without Jesus. Extend to others the grace and mercy he has bestowed upon you. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten how broken, we, how broken you are without Christ? Look in the mirror of God's word. Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, and the very first one is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's us. We are the poor in spirit. Without Christ, we don't have a leg to stand on spiritually. 
But the good news of the gospel is, is this from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by your poverty might become, he might become rich. So by you, by his poverty, excuse me, might become rich. We're poor in spirit, but in Christ, we have everything we need. Are we going to extend that to others? Do they deserve it? The answer, of course, is no. No one deserves God's grace and mercy. That's what makes it such an incredible gift. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's such great news of the gospel. So dear friends, perhaps it's not the rich and poor for us. Perhaps there's some other distinctions. Perhaps there's distinctions in your life. Perhaps it's not just meetings. Perhaps it's someone that you're, you're not willing to interact with for whatever reason. Consider well. You do not have to prove every ounce of their lifestyle to offer to them the friendship and then the grace and mercy that comes through the gospel. May God use us, even us rich folks up in the Northeast Heights to offer the gospel to those who are poor or even poor in spirit. Let's pray as we come to the Lord's table. Lord, we thank you that you chose us from the foundations of the world to be yours in Christ. And that you set history in just such a way so we would be captured Maybe we will be trophies of your grace through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, remind us over and over and over and over and over again. Beat us over the head with it, Lord. Beat us over the head with it. That we deserve nothing. But what we have is a gift from you. May we extend that gift to others. And Lord, I pray, as John Pickett prayed at Presbytery, that you would indeed grow our church. And Lord, that you would grow it with folks who are poor, folks who can't offer us anything, that we may perhaps may, may demonstrate the grace that you have given to us and be able to give it to them. Lord, show us those, those folks in our lives this week. And help us, Lord, to be distributors of your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.